that we've talked about some of our allegiances with with different teams. So, which teams do you do you follow on a religious basis from a sporting oh, perspective? The Australian cricket team, number one with the bullet. I yep. mean, I I live and die by what happens to them. Yep. Um, Hawthorne and the West Coast Eagles, obviously yep. both. I mean. The problem I have with Hawthorne was that they were my second team originally, but the 2008 Grand Final was possibly the single greatest sporting event I've ever witnessed. So that sort of elevated them. Certainly one of the best Um, coaching performances I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, they had no right to win that game. Geelong had lost once all year. And there was that surreal moment in the third quarter when Stuart Jude suddenly went ballistic that you suddenly realise, holy was, shit, they're actually going to win this yeah, thing. I, I can I, still remember that, just that moment when he kicked that goal late in the third quarter and put them 29 points up. Yeah. Just that, yeah, if I had to extra- describe sheer ecstasy yeah. <laughs> in my life, that would be that moment. So it they're is. both right up there. Yeah, I, I do remember the 08 grand final the day before um, having to run a, a Friday forum at work. We're talking about what Hawthorne would have to do to beat your... Yeah. And um, talked about, I remember talking about the fact that they had so many left footers and that they would be bringing the ball through a particular way. Mm. It was really, really interesting about 15 minutes into that game. I was sitting there watching it with my dad and I was like, I can't believe this. They're doing, I said, they, they've got these guys on the ropes. Mm. I mean, if Geelong kicks straight in the second quarter, they win. To me. Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm not so sure of that. I, I always talk about that 15 minutes of dominance yeah. and how you cash in on that 15 minutes of dominance really determines what happens for the rest of the game. Admittedly, Geelong didn't do that, but at the same time, Hawthorne hadn't played that 15 minutes of dominance yet. Yeah. So, it, for Hawthorne, it wasn't 15 minutes in that game. It was only but, about eight. Yeah, but the point it was, was it, very, became so, it, it became so... It, it, it was a, a snowballing effect yeah. there that it impacted on everything that happened after yeah. that point. Um, so, yes, anyway. So uh, what he seems, um, the Minnesota Twins, who are doing absolutely shithouse this season, yeah. it's currently tied for last. Um, I'm just trying to think. From a team perspective, that's probably, probably yeah. it, yeah. I would okay. have to say. So, I've got a few. <laughs> um, lay, lay them on me. West Coast Eagles uh, would probably be the first one I'd name, no matter what. Very proud member of them, have been since their second year. I think I've missed a total of about 12 games that they've played in Perth since they first. I believe came. one of them was when Sumich stepped up. And yeah, and Sumich kicked 13. 13! <laughs> yeah. after, after telling my dad one day he's going to go nuts and I'm gonna, I want to be there to see it, I was very upset. <laughs> I was, unfortunately, I was very crooked that, at, that night, so I, uh, I couldn't do it. I think about six of the other games that I've missed, I've been travelling. So... Um, and I missed about three or four in their first year. Oh, okay. So I've had, um, I watched a lot of their games in 87, but not. I was there for their first game. I miss, I think I missed about three or four games their first year. But, um, yeah, very proud member of the Eagles. Um, locally, also the Perth Wildcats, the basketball team. Yeah. Um, a few of us have, uh, a few of, uh, has got memberships to the Wildcats and, it's a bit of a social outing for us as much as a basketball game. But, Which is uh, always good. So it's always good to catch up with uh, with friends and all of that. So proud member of them as well. Uh, 
been fortunate enough to see them win a couple of championships, which is also a good feeling. Yeah. Uh, the last championship also coinciding with my last day, my first job. So <laughs> very vivid memories of that particular day. I remember being a bit of an, it was a bit of an emotional rollercoaster day <laughs> for me that day. Um, in the in the baseball, I follow the uh, the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Stinking it up just as bad as Minnesota yeah, this season. Yeah, making the Twins look competent this yeah. year. Um, followed them probably for about ten years now. Got in. Um, really funny story with regards to why I follow the Red Sox. I asked one of my friends who's a bit of a baseball fan. I hated the Yankees, and I said, if I wasn't going to barrack for the Yankees, who should I barrack for? <laughs> And he said, you probably should back for the Boston Red Sox yeah. since they're arch rivals. I went, that's good enough for me. <laughs> um, started reading into their history, was absolutely gutted in 2003 when they, when they lost in the, uh, the, cha- the AL Championship Series. Couldn't, was even more gutted in 2004 when they <laughs> fell behind 3-0. And, uh, yeah, when they came back and won that, then came on to went on to win the World Series. I was yeah, couldn't believe it. That, was, that was the first time ever, wasn't it? The mm. team had come back from. It is, else. yes, yeah. that's right. Um, um, and I mean, games four and five were extra inning games mm. as well, which was made it even more impressive. But yeah, yeah c- couldn't believe, couldn't believe that. So follow them. Um, I follow the Denver Broncos in the NFL. Um, Denver Broncos. Denver Broncos, yes. Homer Simpson, currently owned by Homer Simpson. But um, followed them for probably a good 20 years now. Wow. Um, Do you think you'll stick with them? Yeah, I'll stick it out. My favourite player of all time, and one of my, I guess, one of my idols is uh, a a fellow by the name of John Elway, who's actually now the general manager of the Broncos, but um, he was a, I guess he was a player that really struggled through the early parts of his career, and it looked like all of his, I guess all of his opportunities to win Super Bowls were well and truly past him, and then at age 36, they find a running back who's actually really good, they build a quality defense, and in his last two years, they go back to back. So, really enjoyed those, having uh, watched them for so long. It's been a bit rough of, of late for them, but uh, got off to a good start this weekend and uh, won their first game. Nice. Uh, I follow the cricket team. I follow Manchester United in the, in oh, the soccer. Oh, there's another one. Aston Villa um, <laughs> for the soccer. Basically because I didn't want to cheer for one of the yeah. big five who inevitably finish in the top five. <laughs> and... I'm, I'm probably missing someone as well, but they're the uh, they're kind of the the main teams that uh, that I support. Yeah. Um, I love the NBA, but I don't really follow a team as such. There. Okay. Um, How can you follow a sport code without following a team? The NBA it, it's it's actually really easy in the NBA because player movements are just all over the place. Oh, so it's so, a bit like the IPL. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you could like a player, but most players are generally going to play for, for two or three teams throughout their career. So um, it's a, it's going to be hard to root for laundry in the NBA, as I like to say. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just trying to think if there's... Any, oh, actually, yeah, there is one more. The Pittsburgh Penguins in the NHL. Ah, fair enough. They would be the... Um, well, there we go. This has been as enlightening for me as it has been for all Alex. That's a, that's a, lot, of, that's a lot of teams, I know. <laughs> uh, well, I'm just thinking we may need to make this just a five question. 
Dan, I can believe it last week. I think Luke Darcy went to an all-time low. And well, look, I think everyone in the country pretty much thought that Luke Darcy was a complete fucking tool. And God love him, he decided to come out and basically confirm that beyond all doubt last week. Do you want to t- explain the uh, explain the story? Oh well, I mean, in, yeah, in the wisdom, in the infinite wisdom, Channel Seven have decided as part of their coverage this year they'll put um, media personalities and players up to a lie detector before the game. Have the preeminent Brian Taylor ask a series of quote unquote tough questions. So the one with Darcy essentially consisted of I think it was twelve well, questions, basically saying. Are you great or are you not yeah. great? And well, Darcy, great. for every single one, answered, yes, I'm great. Are you the best commentator on Saturday night? Yes, I am. Should you have won a brown low? Yes, I should have. Um, all these other questions just... Are you a total, yeah. total not a knob jockey? Yes, No, I no, am. no, because that, that's different, though, because it was basically questions giving him rope to hang himself, yeah. and every single time... He, he basically showed what a completely inflated ego and sense of self he has. But the kicker for me was definitely the last question, which was Brian Taylor asking Luke Darcy, are you a millionaire? And Luke Darcy, for the first time, said no. And he got the thumbs down from the guy behind BT, the dreaded thumbs down, indicating that he was lying. That his pants were on fire. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the guy on the, on the lie detector didn't like the way he'd gone about answering that question. Right. It was so, brave, though. So, it was brave of the lie detector guy to, to dare question. <laughs> exactly. So BT decided that somehow it may have been misinterpreted, which proved to be on the money, and said, now, Luke, you're on a lie detector. We're going to ask you again, are you a millionaire? And Darcy's reply this time happened to be, well, define a millionaire. Now, let's just stop and think. First, the guy basically said, I'm the greatest thing to happen in the history of the AFL in the previous 11 questions. But then he's decided to come out and finish it off with, define a millionaire. Jeez, Luke, I don't know, maybe someone who's got a million dollars? You'd think, potentially. You'd think a guy who should have won a Brownlow and is the best commentator on Saturday night and all these sorts of things might know that a millionaire has a million dollars. And then Luke Darcy was, yeah, reduced to an embarrassed laughing heap who just kept saying, you're a tool, Brian. You're a tool, Brian. And the entire country was sitting there watching going, no, Luke, you've got that slightly the wrong way around. You're all tools is what I was thinking. Well, this is true. But, yeah, I mean, I've never seen someone of whom I had so little uh, regard in the first place just come out and, (laughs) and show that it should have been even lower than that. I mean, define a millionaire. Jesus Christ. Don't they have any sort of screening for the Channel 7 commentary team? Based on the Saturday Arvo team, I'm going to say no. No. So so brave. Mm. So brave. I don't like the way you went about it, Luke. You're a tool. Your favourite place that you have visited? I'd probably have to go to the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah? I think, yeah, my... Strangely enough, my parents are up in Port Douglas <laughs> as we speak, so yes. shout out to them. But um, yeah, I think, I mean, I will defend Australia as the greatest country in the world till I'm blue in the face. Mm. <laughs> Can't say, I haven't been to Europe or the Americas, mm. but um, to be perfectly honest, I have no interest in going there until I've seen a lot more of Australia. So Melbourne is pretty cool. Mm. Perth, I love Perth. But, um, yeah, in terms of just 
sitting on the beach doing Sweet FA. Yeah, yeah. just g- give me Port Douglas and a uh, bit of um, bit of snorkeling off the Great Barrier Reef. Yeah, it's, it's a tough question to answer because I'm the same. I wouldn't, I couldn't see myself living in any other city than Perth. Mm. So I kind of set my parameters with that in mind. I think my my favourite place to visit, and this is going to be a little bit weird, a weird one to say, but it's more the experience that's hung around with me the longest from being somewhere was being at the site of Ground Zero about three years after the buildings fell. Yeah. Um, I will always carry the feeling that I had with me till the day I die when I was there. It was, it was kind of surreal. Um, I've never experienced anything like that before and I don't think I ever will again. Well, with any luck, you won't. No, um... <laughs> But yeah, it's not to, exactly a happy. Set, no, set no, emotions, no. But it? that's right. But it's one of these things that the you know having seen everything and you hear the stories and all of that to actually literally be there mm. and look up at the buildings around that what was there and seeing the chips out of the plaster from where yeah. the buildings have come down and debris hit all of these yeah. other buildings on the way through. It's the size of the crater. Um, I'm not a spiritual person. Anyone will tell you that, but I did feel the super. Uh, I did feel supernatural. Yeah, things around me there, and um, I'd be yeah. a bit like visiting Lone Pine or mm. the Kokoda Trail or, yes. or somewhere like um, that. So I always remember that. But I mean, if, in terms of that, I'll remember it for that reason. But uh, you know, the other places of I love Boston. Yeah, um, it's good that I barracked for the Red Sox after going. <laughs> To Boston and experiencing Boston well, as well. I Kansas City towed you up in the game yeah. that you saw over there. Yeah, no, but <laughs> having been to Boston twice, I actually, you know, it kind of further accentuated my love for the Red Sox because I, I could tie my love for the Red Sox with my love for that particular city. Yeah. It's a great city. It really is. Um, it's very beautiful. And uh, San Francisco as well on the other coast. Um, a big fan of, of San Francisco as well. So... Sorry, the only the only comment I remember from from your trip there was that the ladies in San Fran were tuning into GJFM, <laughs> which is just cringeworthy. But there it is. <laughs> Americans, uh, Americans love accents. <laughs> your least favourite ad currently on TV? Oh, there are so many to hate. I mean, pretty much any. Any advertisement which is promoting a show on Channel 10. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah. Um, oh, that's a tough one. I mean, I mean, City Subaru would have been a winner <laughs> with a bullet a few years back. And for the record, I'd like to put a bullet between the eyes of whoever came up with that particular Come jingle. On too, City Subaru. <laughs> and then the tapping on the guitar. At the end. Jesus Christ, that was awful. Um, <laughs> Uh, and anything for Big Brother, all the Big Brother ads just really shit me. So I'd, I'll, I'll, pro- I'll probably go with that actually, because any time I see an advertisement for Big Brother, I'm violently ill and I have to leave the room. So that more than any sort of actual TV um, yeah. sort of ad- advertisement for a, for a brand or a product or anything. Although <laughs> having said that, if I switch the TV on right now, I'm sure that Five would immediately. <laughs> Come up that I would. Uh, I've got two. Nominate. I've got two that immediately jumps mind for me. Luckily, I spend most of my time watching pay TV, so I get to avoid yeah. the plague of 
You bet. Channel 10, Big Brother type heads. Oh, First one be anything that has Tom Waterhouse in it. Yeah, that's pretty bad. I don't care if unlike, it's Unlike Jamie Rogers, you can't at least just hit the mute button and yeah. imagine that you... You could be yeah. hitting that. But uh, I don't really care if he's got four generations of betting in his blood, quite frankly. Uh, it's time to cull the bloodline. That's right. Yeah. Just means he's got four generations and know how to rip you off. Um, and the other one is is that I think it's an ad for, for Harvey Norman. I'm trying to remember if it's, it's one of the ads. The, there's a, a guy who's walking out of the kitchen to go watch a a, a game with the surround yes, sound. Yes, yes. Having the game's about to start. That's the one. Yes. The fact that he's so... I don't heavy. give a fucking shit. Finish these dishes first, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the whole family experience yeah. the way that they talk oh, about. Oh, with the so wife confused. coming back and just leaning yeah. on the door. Oh, oh you. <laughs> oh, it's, God. That's it. It's so contrived <laughs> and fake. Yeah. It shits me. It yes. absolutely shits me. And, and can I just point out on a random side, how much does that guy look like Quentin Tarantino? Seriously. <laughs> the, the, there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. I, but, yeah. I'd, I'd want to give him... Yeah. yeah. I, I can think of a few things from compa- Pulp Fiction that I wouldn't just, mind doing to that And it's just compounded at the end with the, the kid coming in and going, Dad! Uh, just geez. terrible. Yeah. So if you haven't seen the ad, we've just given you the pretty yeah, much... Yeah, do yourself a favour. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Name one dead person you would love to have met. Oh, this one is very, very easy. For me. I mean, excluding my own grandfather, who I never got to meet. Yeah. But um, Don Bradman, hands down. I mean, when it comes to conversations about the greatest sportsman of all time, it starts and ends with Bradman, as far as I'm concerned. No one else commands the sort of statistical supremacy over the rest of the field that he does. He's basically time and a half as good as anyone else who's ever batted in cricket match. Um, and I think... It would have been fascinating to get his insights on, you know, some of the things like the Bodyline series and, mm. you know, things like that, which you can read so much about, but it's hard to sort of... It's not like these days where you can go on YouTube and just find videos of it all. Mm-hmm. There's very little, you know, footage yeah. and coverage of stuff back then. Um, so, yeah, he, he'd be my hands-down pick straight away. <laughs> yeah, interesting choice. I mean, a very reclusive figure as well, which would have yeah. made it even more interesting. Oh, I know. I yeah. mean, the th- I mean, it counts in his favour that Ian Chappell hated him because Ian Chappell also hated Steve Waugh, who's my yeah. <laughs> my greatest hero. So Ian Chappell doesn't like favor. Ian Chappell doesn't like too many people. So Ian Chappell doesn't like anyone who doesn't like Ian Chappell. Yeah, I think. I mean, the thing I always love about Bradman was uh, when they asked him how he'd go against the West Indies in the mid eighties. He says, oh, I reckon I'd average about 60. And they're like, really, only that much? He says, well, you have to keep in mind how old I am. <laughs> you know? I'd actually heard him say that about the, the English team yeah. in like the, in the 90s, I'd heard yeah. about. By that stage, I think he said it was down to about 50. So. Yeah. But, <laughs> Maybe he was reusing the same material. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, but I think it's someone who was literally larger than life and certainly yeah. Australia's greatest sporting icon. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a, a fair call. I'm going to go a little bit pseudo intellectual here. Um, Bradman's certainly someone I'd love to chat to, but I'm not quite sure I'd have as quite a long as an in depth conversation as perhaps uh, you would with him. Mm. Some um, my one 
Albert Einstein. I'd just like to know what made that guy tick. Yeah. And I'd, I'd, you I'd hear just, a lot of weird things about him. That's and that's another part of the reason why I'd, yeah. I'd like to uh, to chat with him because you do hear, you know, you hear some of his quotes and you like they're going, man, this guy. You, you hear some stuff and he's like, this guy's like completely locked in, mm. and then you hear some other stuff and you're like, this guy's completely. This guy's been smoking. The yeah, that's why. Yeah, yeah, this guy's completely <laughs> out of his tree. Yeah. Um, just that you know the the whole process of being a creative genius, I guess, in many respects, which mm. is no doubting what he was, would just find a he just somebody who I'd find. He'd be really, a good conversationalist. Yeah, he'd way. just be a really. I just think he'd be a really interesting person to talk to. You'd get some bizarre stuff out of him. But yeah, yeah. A musician or band that is underrated. I don't want to say my favourite band because they are pretty rated, but I still think Nine Inch Nails, in terms of how often he's been able to, Trent Reznor's been able yep. to reinvent himself with a different band and create, I believe I've commented on this before, but create albums that are designed to be listened to from the first song to the last song in mm. order, which just doesn't happen anymore. I think you're about that's, to say your favourite band. Yeah, no, that's, that's someone that I, I really admire because, I mean, he was... He was a, a drug-abusing, heavy metal headbanger when mm. he was in his early 20s to now um, winning the, um, the Academy Award last year for the um, best soundtrack to um, The Social Network. Mm. I mean, that's quite a, that's quite a, um, yeah, yeah. a stretch right there. And he's also um, done what I consider to be hands down the greatest album of all time, which is The Downward Spiral. And unfortunately, he got... Um, writer's block from substance abuse in the years after that so similar to Bon Scott passing away right after Highway to Hell you sort of think we missed out on what could have been the the peak of his um, creative career but um, yeah they'd always I'd plump for them above any other band Underrated is always a difficult yeah see it's a difficult question because they they, I mean they do have a cult following but I still think yeah I mean, I, I think be about better. I think about it in terms of critical mass, and if you're asking the average Joe blog on the street what they thought of somebody, that that kind of sets the level, and then you're making your decisions or judgments above or below that. Yeah, I'm actually going to. I, I think I mentioned them in my Australian one. I think the Hoodoo Gurus are incredibly underrated. Um, they. They released some fantastic music in the 80s, towards the late 80s and early 90s as well. Which is a dark time for music in general. <laughs> uh, surprisingly good time for Australian music, yeah, however, at the same yeah, time. So, and I think that, you know, with, with In Excess in particular blowing up during that time, Midnight Oil maintaining a pretty uh, high level of popularities as well, that they kind of slipped under the radar... Yeah. with regards to, to good Australian bands during that time. And I love listening to their music. Their stuff still holds... I, I think their stuff from the that time still holds up pretty well today. Yeah. They're, they're kind of the master of the three-and-a-half-minute catchy... It's Yeah, their, their style is very, very unique. It's, 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 it's pop-rock type yeah. thing, but it's it's... It's got a very different jazzy. It's got. It has elements of a jazzy bluesy type sound. Uniquely generic. Is that what yeah, you're yeah, trying to well, say? something like that. <laughs> the the concepts and the way that Dave Faulkner writes lyrics is they're very simple. Yeah. And it's 
it really, tra- I feel it really translates well. And as I say, there are bands who who I absolutely love, who a lot of people probably haven't even heard of. So the other, if I were going to go truly underrated, and this is just because they are not proclaimed to be the greatest band of all time by everyone on the planet, is the Beatles. The Beatles. That's yeah. fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> because I mean, when you listen to some of their stuff, it is just oh, it is. It is the perfect... They are the perfect band. Some, some of their songs are just the perfect pop songs, basically. And the fact that, yeah, there are now, you know, bands out there who are sort of calling themselves the, the next Beatles and stuff like that. There will never be another Lennon-McCartney song. I'm just gonna say, it's, it's always amazing when you hear people saying that the Beatles were inspiration for them starting music. And I, I grew up in a household where the Beatles was getting played a hell of a lot. Mm. And, yeah, I... I absolutely agree. Any, anybody who doesn't think that they're the best band of all time is kidding yeah. themselves. Yeah. One thing that really, really has started to annoy me lately is YouTube. Now, the beauty of YouTube was that unlike having Windows Media Player with a, a playlist of all the songs that you like, you could set up a YouTube playlist of all the different song clips, you know, comedy clips, sports clips, you know, anything and everything, all the different clips on YouTube that you had seen, that you had liked, and that you wanted to play in one hit onto a playlist. Now, recently of late, when I've been going onto YouTube and I've been just pressing play all in all the old playlists I've had set up, just more and more of these videos have been removed, saying, oh, it breaches, you know, NBC have pulled this because it breaches their copyright, or um, FIFA have um, removed this particular soccer clip, or the ICC have removed a cricket clip. Now, it really, really bugs me for all clips in general, but for sport in particular, this whole concept that the governing bodies of a particular sport own the rights to the moments of sports coverage that people have witnessed and can prevent us from going onto a free website and watching these best-of moments of the game. Number one, it just pisses me off in general. But number two, what's the point of it? For people to be able to jump onto YouTube and go, hey, you know, something really awesome, Wayne Rooney kicked a bicycle kick, uh, against Manchester City to win the Derby. I'd like to see that. Dwayne Levrock took a awesome one-handed catch and you know opened up a new fault underneath the ground um, in the last World Cup. I'd like to jump on and see a video of that. It's good for the sport. You want people yeah. to be jumping on the website and watching these moments. I think um, I'm gonna. It's there's there's a lot of things I want to say in response to this. I couldn't agree more. But I think that. It's actually about the opportunity missed here. I think that the first thing is it just shows that the people who are running said organisations have absolutely no understanding or no concept of the power of social media in particular. Mm. I think that that's the most important thing. and it's, it's kind of where you have to start any discussion with regards to these matters. It's about the ability for people to engage and interact with that. It's not that these things... Um, you know, inhibit opportunities. They create opportunities. Mm. These quits are essentially free advertising for your product, being endorsed and spruit by a supporter of your product. Why the hell would you be doing anything possible to inhibit your fans 
from doing something from engaging with the sport for engaging yeah. with the sport or engaging with the TV show whatever I mean the, the old argument was. used to be was so it was so they could officially release the you know official DVD of the XXXX World Cup or the official season review of the English Premier League oh. but do you really fucking want to tell me that because people can see a three-minute clip on YouTube for free, there is going to be a 15% decline in sales of the official DVD? That's absolutely ridiculous. Mm. Well, it is. It's a, there's a complete disconnect there. There's a difference between wanting to buy the DVD for the whole thing and wanting to see a tiny snapshot of it. And I think that it's really... Uh, and I mean, it, it's... And once again, as I say, there's a social media side of things, but it's actually also... The naivety in how people engage with multimedia these days mm. is that people want real-time access for to, free, for, well, as close as well as cheap as possible. But they well, they yeah. want to be able to know that I can access this clip yeah. whenever I want to access it. Yeah, and you know that I'm you know you can support the things in that particular way. There's multiple ways to to get revenue streams, and I think you know the t- the TV companies the you know the film producing companies, mm. the musicians, the even team. yeah, even the musicians to a lesser extent, is that they they've just completely lost sight in how people engage. They used to make lots of money an old way, and mm. they 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 put they, they're trying to put legalese in place to inhibit people from engaging in the new in the new mm. wave in the new stream. They're costing themselves revenue. Well, that's right. Oh, let simple. me tell you, if I can jump onto YouTube and watch these clips. I'm going to increase my engagement and my love of the sport. It's going to make me happy. I'll be more likely to buy stuff in future. But if I go onto YouTube and I can't buy these clips, I'm not going to turn around and say, well, geez, I'd better wait until the officially sanctioned uh, DVD of this thing is released and, and I'll buy through, it then. And sit through three hours yeah. to find one clip. People I'll don't just have be that amount of time anymore. completely pissed off. And I'll, yeah. it's not going to, yeah, trigger any future purchase. And, I mean, just talking about sport, I think that there's, there's an interesting dichotomy when you look at how MLB handles this matter and how the NBA handles this matter. The MLB pretty much put up Chinese walls on everything. Mm-hmm. No, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do that. Any baseball clip on YouTube gets pulled within the day, yeah. pretty much. Whereas the NBA, it's open slather, basically. Mm. Hearing, I've heard David Stern talk about this, and I think that David Stern is probably the most savvy of all of the commissioners around with regards to social media and the impact that it has on people's lives. His response to it, is that he views it as free advertising for his product. And why would I try and inhibit my fans from trying to engage with my product? He's 100% correct. If I'm talking to any client about social media, that is generally the, the golden rule that I will say to them first and foremost, which is you shouldn't be doing anything to discourage your supporters from supporting you. And not just supporters, but potentially new people being interested in the sport. I mean, well, people that's saying, where, that's where wow, this I heard from. something about this amazing thing that happened in the basketball. Like Belinda Snell hit a three-pointer from the halfway yeah. line. I want to jump onto YouTube and watch that clip. That is, I think, the real big advantage of YouTube is allowing yeah. that, yeah, that sort of and insight to exactly. it. Exactly. It's those type, and that's the thing, it's those types of things that he he sees it as a way to embrace it's embracing social media but it's also embracing all of the, the mm. spillover opportunities because how else do you expect to attract yeah. people to support if they can't do something like that yeah really it's, yeah it's but yeah it's as i say he's he's really embraced it 
Uh, and it's it's a shame that I guess other companies are, are being so slow mm. to respond and react to that. Above and beyond all that for me, there's also the philosophical issue, which is that sport belongs to the people in general. Yep. It doesn't matter what sport it is. But once a sporting event has happened, it's been witnessed, it's done and dusted. I do not agree at all that a company owns the rights to that footage. I don't agree with that at all. If Australia play England in the ashes, then once it's happened, it that's it. It's mm. out there. No one, you know, official body or sanctioned corporate, um, yeah, corporate body can then yeah. say, oh, we own the rights to what happened here. We can prevent you from being able to view it. That, yeah, that just seems like, well, uh, yeah, I, I just don't buy into that at all. It's You're, censorship is really oh, yeah, what uh, it is. That was I'm the word a, I was looking for, I'm censorship. A, yeah, I'm of the argument that once something's televised, it's public domain as far as I'm concerned. Mm. I'm sure that there's a lot of legal people who would probably disagree with that well, sentiment. fuck you, legal but people. We don't care. We, I want to watch my bloody cricket clips and all the other crap that I had put together into this masterful YouTube playlist over time. I want to be able to jump on today and still be able to see all these clips rather than having them being pulled down one at a time. 